getting back on Route 66, and we've been traveling, we've been going book by book, doing an overview. So if you're joining us for the first time tonight, I'll just preface like I do many weeks that as we're going through these 66 books, there's no way that I can do justice to an entire book of the Bible in one setting, and much less like tonight, we're doing two. It's meant to be an overview, so I apologize. I know that I kind of I kind of get going pretty quick, and I have wind gust up to about 45 miles an hour. Uh, do the best you can just to, just to stay caught up, but I will tell you that if for some reason you miss a blank or whatever, uh, maybe you can get it after the service tonight or or go back and watch it again and get maybe something that you missed. But we want to make sure that you, uh, you follow along with us tonight. So you should have, whether you download it or you have it here tonight, and we're in uh, 1 Thessalonians is where we're going to start. Tonight's study is 1 and 2 Thessalonians. So if you notice there on the shelf that we, we're getting through a lot of those books that are colored blue, these are what many times are called the church epistles. These are the books that God allowed the Apostle Paul to pen under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we really just have a few more next week. Lord willing, we'll do First and Second Timothy. And then the week after that, we're going to do Titus and Philemon. And then notice we get into those red uh, books. And, and really, that's the writings of Peter and the writings of John. And looking forward to that. And before the end of this year, uh, the plan is to be through the New Testament, maybe jump into the old, or we may do that in the new year, just doing an overview. And, of course, we're looking forward to going through those, those Old Testament books as well. So 1 Thessalonians, I always give a title to each one of these. And uh, the word we use many times is epistle, but they're also the, uh, a word that's synonymous is the word letter. So this is a letter that was written to those in Thessalonica, and the title of this is The Epistle of the Rapture. The Epistle of the Rapture. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Some of you may be well uh, familiar with the rapture and what exactly it is. Some of you, it may be a little newer to you. And I know that when it comes to uh, biblical principles and doctrines, especially something that would be in the area of what we call the end times or the, the doctrinal word, the eschatology, the study of the last days, that this is one of those aspects many times that people may be a little bit fuzzy in areas. And guess what? That's okay. I mean, I don't know it all myself, uh, but I think that we need to be studying. We need to understand it. And uh, hopefully tonight will enlighten many of you. But as this epistle bears its name from those that Paul was writing to at Thessalonica. Notice in chapter 1, verse number 1, the Bible reads, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So right out of the gate, uh, Paul, just like any other letter, we might, I typed a letter to someone today uh, and sent a recommendation, and I, I began that talking about who I was and why I was writing, and that's what Paul, uh, again, does at the beginning of these letters we call books in our Bibles. Now, Thessal Thessalonica was a seaport town. It was right on the water, and it was also the capital of Macedonia. So notice here on the map, you see, if you're looking there, now the arrow's actually to Philippi, 
But if you look just over from Philippi, you see the seaport town of Thessalonica there. And notice that Thessalonica is in Macedonia. And because of where it was strategically located, it was the capital of this area known as Macedonia. Now, it was a large industrial area, a huge population. And in Thessalonica, there were thousands of Jews that were there. And one of the reasons was because there was a synagogue that was in Thessalonica. I mentioned last week that just like even here in our country, oftentimes if you can locate a synagogue in the United States, you're going to find a, a pocket of people, Jewish people, living around that synagogue. It's still something that is very common even today. Now, Paul, like, like the book we studied last week, he founded this particular church, the church to the, uh, the Thessalonian church, on his second missionary journey. If you want to take the time, I gave you the reference there. We'll, we'll look at a few of those verses in, in Acts chapter 17 tonight, but that's where you see the formation or the foundation of this church in Thessalonica. Now, what's interesting is, is that as you study this, uh, just like even today, when you and I as believers, when we, be, when we are teaching and preaching and giving out the Word of God and it's about the Lord Jesus Christ, anytime we are doing that, there's always going to be the opposition. People are always going to oppose the Word of God, the people of God, and, and specifically the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you study this book, and it's just five chapters, persecution came about when the Apostle Paul preached, and here's what he was preaching, the kingship of Jesus. He was preaching that Jesus was king, and as a result of his preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, if you study it, Paul was actually driven out of Thessalonica because of his preaching about Jesus. Look at what it says here in Acts 17 and verse 7. The Bible says, "...whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, and the Bible says, one Jesus. So here's the thing is, look, folks, understand that God is the one that established government. And so the reference here is to Caesar, uh, the representative of government in the day. But here's the thought is, is that, that we are, yes, subject to the laws of the land, but understand that the highest authority in our lives is the Lord Jesus Christ. God is first in our lives. And that's why the Bible says in the book of Acts that when something, even if it's government, is, is something that infringes on our religious liberties and, and the principles of the Word of God, the Bible says in those instances, we ought to obey God rather than man. Now, that doesn't mean God says, we can be a lawbreaker and do what we want and never abide by the laws of the land. No, we need to be law-abiding citizens. But here's what Paul was preaching, that Jesus was king and not Caesar. Now, we still live in a day where, uh, listen, the, the highest coveted office of our land is the president of the United States. And a lot of people will worship the ground that someone walks on. Yeah, even the, you think about the Catholic Church with the Pope and so on. A lot of people are worshiping man, but remember God says that we should have no gods before him, that he is to be, and, and I love the fact when you study the word of God that Jesus is not only king, he is also prophet and priest. So when Paul began to preach about the kingship of Jesus Christ, persecution began to become more and more 
towards not only Paul, but those who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the majority of believers in Thessalonica were Gentiles, but there were also some Jews. There were some proselytes, and the Bible mentions even chief women of, of the city were mentioned there in Acts 17 and verse number 4. Some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. Now, a proselyte is someone that is actually a new convert. Uh, maybe they were converted from one religion to the other. In other words, uh, I, growing up, I was Catholic. When I got saved, watch this, I became a Christian. I didn't become a Baptist. See, when I came to know the Lord as my Savior, I became a Christian. The Bible says that they were first called Christians. Now, I became a Baptist later by conviction because of what I began to read and study from the Word of God. And if you don't quite understand what I just said and you want to talk about it sometime, I'd be more than happy to sit down with you. That's a, a, probably another topic tonight. But there were people that were maybe a part of another religious system in, in Paul's day there in the city of Thessalonica. They were reached because Paul was preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ and they became a proselyte. And what's interesting also in this verse is it mentions again these chief women, notice plural, and what the Bible's referring to here is it's talking about women who were very prominent in the city. They, they maybe had risen to a place of prominence for whatever reason. Maybe they knew someone, they were a part of someone's family, maybe the job that they had, but they were very, uh, very prominent, very influential, and that's why the Bible calls them chief women. So just to give you a little idea of what was going on there in Thessalonica, a very important city because it was there on the sea and it was the capital of the area known as Macedonia. Now, what was the occasion of writing? Remember, Paul wrote this, but remember, God gave Paul what to write. So God knew that this church needed to, be, there were some things that needed to be addressed. So look what it says here when you look at the occasion is that Paul sent his young protege, Timothy, back to the Thessalonians, and the reason he did was to comfort them. The Bible says in chapter 3 and verse 2, and he sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow labor in the gospel of Christ, and here's why. Look at it. The Bible says he sent him there to establish you and to comfort you concerning the what? The faith. So look, all of us from time to time, I think the real battle begins when we get saved, when we start to grow as a Christian. Because look, once we're saved, the devil can't, he can't change our eternity because God's the one that saves us. We cannot be unsaved. So the devil knows that, listen, once we're saved, we have eternal life. But what he's going to try to do is make our lives miserable. He's going to try to snatch the seed. He's going to try to destroy our testimony. And so understand, when you look at this, that Paul, as he writes there, and God knew that those in Thessalonica, they needed someone to help them to become more established in the faith, someone to help them uh, to be comforted in the faith because what they were dealing with. And we'll talk about that here in just a moment. And notice also... The occasion for writing was that Paul wrote this letter, first of all, to defend his own character. Again, as a man of God, Paul was constantly being attacked. Uh, people were saying he was trying to manipulate the people and 
that he was preaching things that were not true. He was preaching against Caesar. So Paul was defending his own character. I gave you the references there if you want to look those verses up. Notice also he wrote this letter to encourage the believers in Thessalonica to be faithful in spite of the persecution. Now, I don't know. Maybe the days uh, for us is going to get more and more. Uh, Maybe we in our country, we might start seeing more and more persecution as the days go on. Can I tell you that, listen, from the Word of God, we can always find uh, the encouragement that we need to stay faithful even when there is persecution. And then notice another reason that he wrote this letter was to confirm the young Christians in the truth that had already been taught to them. Look, truth is absolute. God's Word does not change. But we live in a world, listen, is the world not trying to redefine the, the family and the home? Sure they are. And, but understand, God's word, God's position, the truth of the word of God has never changed since God gave it. So what Paul was trying to do with these young Christians in Thessalonica was to try to help them understand, look, the truth that you've already been taught, that you've already received, Listen, you need to stand on that truth. That truth is not going to change. And he says, I want to try to help you as young Christians to confirm your beliefs in the word of God. And then notice another reason is to exhort them to holiness of life, to live a holy life, a life that is acceptable to God. And then his last reason to write was to comfort them concerning those already asleep in Jesus. Now the word asleep, means those that have gone on before us. Uh, I love that thought there. When you think of death, many times we think such bad things, but the Bible says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And I love how the Bible uses the word sleep to talk about even something that we call death. So there's the occasion. Look, just five chapters, but a lot of reason that this letter was written to those believers in Thessalonica. Look at the contents here in this particular book. Paul had much to praise and nothing to blame about the church in Thessalonica. There wasn't, it wasn't a long list of things that Paul wanted to go off and, and, and send a sharp letter like we've seen him write to other churches. Notice these new converts. They had a faith that worked. They had a love that labored. And they had a hope which enabled them to patiently bear afflictions and wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus and a walk that revealed that they truly were walking in the light. Now, the Bible tells us that, that he is the, God is the light of the world, Jesus is the light of the world, and he tells us that we are to walk in the light and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And that's why Paul didn't have uh, anything to blame about this church. He was praising them for what they were doing, how they were patiently waiting for the coming of the Lord. By the way, Here we are in 2020, and we're still patiently waiting on the coming of the Lord. As far as I'm concerned, Lord, you can come back before this election, and that would suit me just fine, you know? But I'll tell you this, listen, we know this is true, that someday the Lord will come, and God's Word has promised it, and we're looking forward to that. Now, notice, although Paul only stayed for just about a short three months in Thessalonica, while he was there, Paul unfolded many fundamental doctrines of the scriptures to them. And I use that word fundamental. And I want you to understand that word tonight. When we talk about fundamental doctrines, we're talking about essential doctrines, truths. We're talking about the basics. We're talking about 
primary teachings from the Word of God. So in three months, I mean, man, Paul, God allowed Paul to back the truck up and just unload all these doctrines. Now, I gave you the list there. Look at this. In just five chapters, look at what he covered in a, really just a short three, three weeks. I think I said months. It was actually weeks. Notice, first of all, he covered what is known as election. Now, understand that when we talk about election, biblically speaking, what are we talking about? We're talking about the act of choosing. Now, a lot of people don't understand election. And I, again, I don't have the time to get all into this tonight. But uh, when people think about this, I hear people make all kinds of unbiblical statements, making comments like, God only chooses some people and he doesn't choose other people and there are only certain people can be saved and other people can't be saved. Do you know if you have that type of philosophy that you're going to have many verses in the Bible you're going to have to cut out of the word of God because the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Uh, why in the world then do, would we ever believe that there are only certain people that can be saved and other people can never be saved. So what is this matter of election? I'll tell you what it is. It's God's act of choosing. And you know who God chooses? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what the Bible teaches. So listen, Paul covered this doctrine of election. He, notice other doctrines he covered. The ministry of the Spirit. Hey, listen, we need to understand the Spirit of God, the ministry that He has in our lives. He, talk, he covered this matter of assurance, assurance of our salvation, that again, so many people don't understand that when we get saved, that, that we are in the hand of God and that no one can pluck us out of the Father's hand. No one's more powerful than God. Notice he also covered the Trinity. People today, religions today, they want you to believe that, uh, that the Spirit is some type of force, that the Spirit is not God. They want you to believe that Jesus was just a man. He was a good man. He was a teacher. No, no, no. The Bible teaches God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Paul taught on the Trinity. Notice he also taught on conversion. Another word we could use is salvation. Paul wanted to make sure that they clearly understood what it meant to be saved and be a child of God. He covered the second coming. We'll talk about that in just a moment. He covered the believer's walk. Once we get saved, how are we to conduct our lives, our conversation, the Bible says. Uh, and then he covered sanctification. This is a, the ongoing process that once we are saved, that, that we are being saved on a daily basis. And sanctification is a wonderful doctrine of the Word of God. He covered the resurrection. Man, I'm telling you, again, three short weeks, Paul covered so many doctrines. And then he also talked to them and taught them about the day of the Lord. And we'll talk about that here also in just a moment. Now, the character of the book of 1 Thessalonians is that it was a church epistle written to the saints, the believers in Thessalonica. The subject is the coming of our Lord for his church. So the Lord is going to come for his church. And the purpose of 1 Thessalonians is to give us hope as to seeing our Savior. Look, that is our blessed hope, that one day we will see the Lord. And then notice also, he, he also, the purpose is to reward us for our service, and again, what we do for the Lord, and then to comfort us in our sorrow with the hope of His coming, and to exhort us to be ready for His coming. Uh, listen, you, you ever read the parable in the Bible where there were, there were five 
wise and five foolish virgins and how that they the five wives that they had oil in their lamps and the five foolish didn't have oil you know what i'm talking about and the bible says that the five that didn't went to get oil but while they were gone that the the the, the five wives went in and the door was shut hey that folks that's a beautiful picture there of how th th there are those that are going to be ready that they are saved and that they're ready to meet the lord and then there are those who are not ready and I pray even if there's someone here tonight or somebody listening that does not know for sure that heaven would be their home and they have put their faith and trust in Christ, that you would settle that even this evening before it's eternally too late. Look at this outline. I love the, the outlines, just simple outlines to help us. All of this because of Paul's uh, seeing this church and the model that they were. Notice here that he writes, first of all, in chapter 1 of the model church and their work of faith. Chapter 2, the model servant and the labor that they had, it was a labor of love. Chapter 3, the model life and how we need to live a life that is unblameable in holiness, that God says, I am holy, therefore be holy. Chapter 4, he covers the model faith and how, again, our hope is in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And chapter 5, he deals with the model action, and that is that you and I, as believers, should be walking in the light. So there's a great little outline. Now, the only thing I'll add to that tonight is that you also could take this letter, these five chapters, you really could divide it into two parts. And I want you to notice, part one would be looking backwards, looking back. This was Paul looking in chapters one, two, and three at really a a personal reflection, so to speak. And then the second part would be looking forward. So looking back, chapters 1, 2, and 3, and then looking forward, which really kind of helps us understand that what we've seen in chapters 1, 2, and 3, we can practically receive those instructions and live it out in chapters 4 and chapters 5. And that's a great way to look at the book also. Now, we've mentioned a couple times Paul is the one that God allowed to pen these words and it was written about 52 A.D. while Paul was in Corinth. And so we understand here Paul writing in, uh, while he was there in Corinth. 1 Thessalonians, look at this, is the first of the letters that were written by Paul. So when you look at it where it's at in our Bible, we've already gone through uh, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And now here we are in 1 Thessalonians. Remember, our, the books in our Bible are not put together chronologically, okay? And so a lot of times it helps, especially when you do overviews like this, to know some of these things. And here's a good one that Paul, this is the first of his letters that he wrote. And in the very first verse, I love how Paul acknowledges the deity of Jesus Christ and he uses these words, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, folks, that's big. Because remember, this was the first of the letters Paul wrote to churches. And back then, around 50, 52 AD, there were many critics that held that the deity of Jesus Christ, listen to this, this was their view. And when we say the deity of Christ, what are we saying? We're saying that Jesus was God. So many critics of Paul's day, they actually held that this deity of Christ, that he was God, was something that was a later development. And the reason that it it began to be pro uh, propagated was because they were trying to deify the man Jesus. Now, we all know that the Bible says in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. Jesus has always been God, but see, man has always been trying to put a spin and to try to remove the Lord from where he belongs. And so this was something that Paul was trying to confirm to them that this belief is true, it's Bible, that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And so listen, again, I love how he sets the tone right there. Chapter 1, verse 1, and he says, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is saying that Jesus was God. And folks, if you've ever had a discussion with anyone in, in your life, maybe someone you met, maybe a family member, a lot of people struggle with Jesus is God. But if Jesus is not God, then listen, our faith is vain. And we understand that he is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God. Now, chapter 4 is the key chapter, and it covers the rapture. And that's what really this book, the, the, the vast majority of it deals with. The word rapture, uh, interesting here, we talk about it many times theologically. The word rapture is not found in the Bible. Now, what you will find is the truth, the teaching about it, but the word rapture, to say, well, pastor, why do, we, why do we use it? Do you know the word Trinity is not in the Bible either? But yet we teach the, the principle and the doctrine of the Trinity. Why? Because we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So just because a word is not found does not mean that the, the Bible does not teach about it. The rapture, what is it? It's a state or experience of being carried away. That's what the rapture is, to be carried away. The English word from where we get from the Latin word rapio means to seize or to snatch. It's the actual removal from one place to another. So look here, where are we right now? We're in this world. We're on the earth. Where's God? God's in heaven. And so watch this. One day we're gonna we're either gonna leave this world through death's door. And the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Or, according to 1 Thessalonians, we are going to be caught up, we're going to be carried away, we're going to be snatched out, we're going to leave this world, and we're going to go to heaven. We're going to be with the Lord. And what a wonderful thought there. And again, this is a truth that we find in the Word of God. Look what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and verse 17. The Bible says, then we which are alive and remain, notice those words, alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them. Now the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Now notice what it says, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we... Look at the word, ever be with the Lord. See, we're always, that's eternity. Now, the wonderful thing is, is that if the Lord comes back right now, while we're still here, we're all going to be raptured out. We're going to be, we're going to be caught away. The Bible says here, we're going to be caught up together with the dead in Christ in the clouds to meet the Lord. So the rapture, Jesus does not come back to the earth when we see the rapture. The Lord's going to be in the clouds. We're going to meet them in the air. Everybody with me tonight? Now, there is something, we're going to talk about this in just a minute, called the second coming of Christ. The rapture is not the second coming. Because look here, the Lord's going to meet us. We're going to meet him in the air at the rapture. 
and then after the time we call, the Bible refers to as the time of tribulation, then we will come back with the Lord to this earth, and that's where the Lord's second coming is. So we need to make sure that we make a distinction when it comes to these teachings from the Word of God. So again, here it is. <clears throat> the rapture of the church means the carrying away of the church from earth to heaven. And here's an interesting thought. Years ago, I think I heard this, I began to study it. The last book of our Bible, the book of what? Revelation. <clears throat> the book of Revelation is an interesting study. What you'll find is in chapters 1, 2, and 3, especially chapters 2 and 3, are the, the letters, like right here tonight, we're looking at 1 Thessalonians, the church in Thessalonica. If you look in chapters 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, there are seven letters written to seven churches of Asia Minor. Those were seven churches, Philadelphia, Thyatira, Sardis, all those churches, the church of Laodicea. When you get to the end of chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, and you begin Revelation chapter 4, from chapter 4 of the book of Revelation to chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, there's no mention of the church. Now remember, the church are the believers. It's not a building. You don't find any mention of believers in those chapters. You know why? Because we're not here. Because during that that seven-year period, the time of tribulation, all the saints are going to be with the Lord. At the marriage supper of the Lamb, there's so many, so many wonderful things that are going to be taking place, and we need to make sure we understand all this. Say, well, Pastor, listen, then I don't have to worry about it, because according to the Word of God, I'm going to be out of here. I won't go through the trip. That's true. But we all know people that are not saved. And listen, we don't want any of our loved ones we don't want anyone to go through that time known as the time of tribulation, all right? So hopefully that makes some sense to you. The key verses, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, look at these verses. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. Remember, he was there just a couple weeks. He says, how while we were there, ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And look at this, he says to, about them to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. See, look, if we are saved, we're in Christ. We, because of Jesus, have been delivered from the wrath to come. We will not go through all those awful things that we read about in the book of Revelation. And so there's, there's your key verses for 1 Thessalonians. The key word we've been talking about is coming, the coming of the Lord. Key phrase is that we are in Christ, and because we're in Christ, we're hopeful, all right? And again, you can see in chapters 4, I love those verses. Matter of fact, if you have your Bible there, look at 1 Thessalonians, and I read a few of these verses, but look at chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. Look what it says again in verse number 13. It says here, but I would not have you to be ignorant, notice, brethren. Anytime you see a word like that in the Bible, it's talking to Christians. The Bible says, I, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. So look here, even though I miss Brother Gilbert, I'm not sorrowing because I know where he's at. According to the Bible, he's with the Lord. 
just like your loved ones that were saved and are already with the Lord today. Look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, how many of you believe that? All right, so look, if we believe this, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, not by man's word, not by what I've come up with, not by what the Baptist church says, but the Bible says here again in verse 15, we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them in the Lord in the air. And so shall we be, ever be with the Lord. And look at verse 18. How can you read a verse like this and think that we are going through the tribulation? The Bible says after these words, comfort one another with these words. People are not going to be comforted going through the tribulation time. So again, we see here that we are hopeful. The key thought to 1 Thessalonians is waiting for his son from heaven. Waiting for his son from heaven. We just read that in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse number 10. And then how do we see uh, spiritual thoughts here in this particular book or letter is that Jesus is coming, surely coming again, and he is seen as our coming Lord. That's how we see him. And I love what the Bible says as you get into the book of Acts and how they're, they're standing around. Jesus had already been seen alive by many infallible proofs, the Bible says, and he's, he's about ready to leave. And, and look, I don't know if this is exactly, but the Bible says, look at, the Bible says, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? Now that means that the Lord had started to ascend up to be with the Father. So I don't know, again, exactly what it looked like, but the Lord started to maybe rise and to be ascending up to be with the Father, which is where he is today. And the Bible says, why are you standing gazing up into heaven? Look at this. This same Jesus, the one you see going up into heaven, shall so come again in like manner as you have seen him go up into heaven. That means that just like he's going up, guess what? Someday he's going to come back down. And so we have that blessed hope. So we, when we look at 1 Thessalonians, it's a great study when it comes to the rapture and the things that will take place around it. Now look at the, the next book, the next letter, is just three chapters. It's 2 Thessalonians. And again, we find that it, was, uh, it deals with Christ's second coming. Now there's a difference, again, between the rapture, 1 Thessalonians, and the second coming of Christ, that is what 2 Thessalonians is about. And so Paul, again, is writing to those at Thessalonica, and notice chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we already talked earlier about the occasion for 1 Thessalonians, so look at the occasion for this one. Paul, now, God has given him an opportunity to help them because there had been a misunderstanding among the Christians about this term, sudden, in his first letter. And that word sudden is actually in reference to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what it says there in your outlines or in the Word of God, chapter three and verse, chapter 5, verse number 3, 1 Thessalonians. Look at it again. For when they shall say, peace and safety, 
Then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Now the word sudden, if you want to jot this down, here's what it means. It means without notice. Now we'll also look at, at, at the Lord's return and how no man knows the day nor the hour. So, so here's the thing is, there was a misunderstanding about this term sudden when Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians, that first letter to them, some had interpreted it to mean immediate. They thought that this word sudden meant immediate, and as a result of that, it, they thought it was going to happen like right now. So what were they doing? Because they thought it was going to immediately happen, they were neglecting their daily work, and as they were neglecting their daily work, they, were, they became more and more disorder in their lives, and as a result of this disorderly lifestyle, then the error began to gain strength, and people were actually writing things that were not true. Uh, by the way, you do know that there are hundreds of versions of the Bible today. How do we get hundreds of versions of God's Word? Because people are taking the truth, and they're twisting it, distorting it, omitting things, adding to it. Well, they were doing the same thing in Paul's day in Thessalonica. There were these false letters. Look at the verse here in 2 Thessalonians 2.2. 2. Paul says that ye be not soon shaken, notice here, in mind, or be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. So Paul says, look, there are people and they're writing things, they're saying things, but understand what you need to anchor yourselves, and we need to too tonight and every day of our lives, is build our lives on the Word of God. All other ground is sinking sand. And as we trust God's Word, God will help us to navigate even through some of these false teachings of our day, and that's what Paul's instructing them. Paul wrote this second letter to reassure them of Christ's coming, and he wrote to support their cause to explain that certain events, here it is, listen to this, certain events must first come to pass. In other words, there are things that need to happen before the Lord will come back. Now, here we are in 2020. There is absolutely nothing that needs to happen before the Lord comes back. The rapture of the church is the next event on God's timetable. That's why I say the Lord's return is imminent. It could happen at any moment. It could happen, but, but see here, they had a misunderstanding about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's very important that we see this. So he was trying to explain that certain events must first come to pass before the Lord comes back, and then to exhort them or encourage them really to, as a Christian, to lead a quiet, sober, and industrious life. In other words, get back to work. Look, folks, God never has, He never will bless laziness. He who doesn't work doesn't eat. He's worse than an infidel, the Bible says. So, look, Paul says, yeah, look, when the Lord comes back, He needs to find you being faithful. He needs to, men, He needs to see us providing for our family when he comes back. Ladies, taking care of your home, 
until he comes back. And this is what Paul is telling them. Is he's exhorting them to just go on with their life. Look, we could, we could say, hey, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. And then just kind of kick back and do absolutely nothing. The Lord's not pleased with that. Uh, God says, I want you to be doing what I've given you to do. Now, look at the contents of this just three chapters, the second letter to them. Paul comforts and supports the Thessalonians under the afflictions and persecutions that they endured for the sake of the gospel. They were experiencing some persecution. Notice also he corrects their mistaken view concerning the coming of the Lord. He exhorts them to take notice, pay attention to those that were disorderly. It says here, such as were people that were idle. You know, idleness is the devil's workshop. Uh, there were people, look at the word, busybodies in everybody's business. Had to know everybody's business. Anybody else besides me got a neighbor like that? I'm not talking about the McGraths. I, I'm talking about, you know, it just seems like everybody's neighbor wants to know everybody else's business. And there, even in Paul's day, there were busybodies. And here's what he says to them. By the way, this is a biblical concept, is if people are being that way, the Bible says withdraw from them, have nothing to do with them. And then he also writes to, to remove them from their communion as being not only burdensome to them, but a reproach to the faith. So again, Paul is, there's many reasons that Paul is writing to them, trying to help them, trying to encourage them, some of the misunderstandings about the coming of the Lord. The character of this second letter is it's a church epistle. It deals with major doctrine in the word of God and the subject is the coming of Christ. But look at this, to judge those who obey not the gospel. Now, did you hear that? The Lord is the judge. We are not the ones that are to execute judgment on other people. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And there's going to be a day where the Lord will come and he will judge those. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. It says, to you who are troubled, he says, rest with us. He says, don't, don't worry about it. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, boy, look at that, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Listen, I would not want to be in that company. And the Bible says that the Lord will come and judge those. Now look at the purpose. Paul is warning against false teaching about Christ coming and to show the relation of the Christian to the day of the Lord. Now that statement, the day of the Lord, let's talk a little bit about this. This is something that even many people that have been saved for years do not really understand these next two uh, phrases or terms that I'm about to share with you. The first one is the day of the Lord. All right, everybody hear it, the day of the Lord. Think about that statement. What is it referring to? It's referring to what we've been talking about, the day of God's wrath and God's judgment being poured out upon this earth. Uh, that's what the day of the Lord is. It does not just span, look at the statement there, the day. It's, it, it's not just a one day event because when you study this day of the Lord, it's, it's not just one literal day. It also includes the entire millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, look at 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5 and verse number 4. I think I got that verse. Maybe, maybe not. There it is. 
but ye brethren are not in darkness that that day, talking about the day of the Lord, should overtake you as a thief. So look, we who understand the word of God, it's not going to surprise us, catch us off guard, but that there are going to be many that are going to be surprised when the day of the Lord comes and God's wrath and judgment is poured out. Now the other statement, look here, we looked at the day of the Lord when God's wrath is going to be poured out, but look at the, this other phrase here, the day of Christ. Now the day of Christ has nothing to do with the wrath of God, the judgment of God on this earth. It is actually the day that the church meets the Lord in the air, which is what we were just talking about in 1 Thessalonians. What's the other word we were using? The word rapture, right? So the day of Christ is the rapture. The day of the Lord is really a time period where God's wrath is going to be poured out. And so we're looking forward to the Lord's return. Now, the outline is even shorter with 2 Thessalonians. Notice he starts in chapter 1 with persecution and the Lord's coming. He moves into chapter 1 to the unrepentant and the Lord's coming, those that have not put their faith in Christ. Then he covers the apostasy and the Lord's coming. The Bible says that there must first come a falling away. By the way, I really believe we're seeing that in America big time today, an apostasy that is going on. And then number four, the, we'll see here in chapter two and chapter three, the service and the Lord's coming. And look at these verses out of Matthew 24, great chapter in our Bible. The Bible says, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, not even the angels of heaven know the day, but my Father only. And look at these two words, watch therefore. In other words, pay attention, be ready. He says, because ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. So look, we don't know. There's been, have you ever heard in your lifetime people setting the date? You know, telling people the Lord's going to come back. Listen, a fool sets the date. No one, according to the Bible, knows when the Lord's coming back, not even the angels. And so we need to understand the, the coming of the Lord. Now, the writer, again, is Paul, just like in 1 Thessalonians, uh, written about 53 instead of 52. Uh, also in Corinth, and this was written shortly after Paul's first letter. And, and it, it appears that maybe the person that, that instrumentally carried the first epistle or first letter came back quickly to Corinth, maybe uh, had seen and heard some of the misunderstandings about the Lord's return and gave Paul the, the news, the account of what was going on in the church in Thessalonica. And so Paul then again, God allows him to pen these words that would eventually made it back to the church in Thessalonica. The key chapter in, in 2 Thessalonians is chapter 2, dealing with God's day and the man of sin. God's day and the man of sin. If you have your Bibles open still, look in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, and I want you to look at a couple of verses with me. Look what the Bible says here in chapter 2, verse 2. The Bible says again, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there, there come a falling away first. And here's the statement, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Look at verse 4. This is all about the man of sin. Look at this. 
who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. That's serious. That's dangerous. And the Bible goes on to say, or that is worshiped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Verse 5, remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Paul says, look, I tried to warn you. I I tried to tell you that this is going to happen. Verse 6, and now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, praise the Lord for that, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness, of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Verse 12, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, is that not describing a lot of what is going on in the world today, absolutely. And the Bible here is talking about this fact that we see here that all of this, that there is going to be a falling away first, the Bible mentions there. And again, notice these verses. Look at verse 13 and 14 in chapter 2, the key verses. We are bound to give thanks all the way to God for you, Paul says, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when you think about what Paul's talking to as he's writing here and explaining to them and really reminding them, the key word is the word waiting. Uh, They're just like us. They were waiting. Look at the key phrase. They are in Christ. We are in Christ glorified. And the Bible says, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints. Do you see that? He's going to come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all that them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the key thought here to 2 Thessalonians is the day of the Lord. So that goes right into what is the spiritual thought to 2 Thessalonians. Here it is. We are to wait and we are to work till he comes. Again, I'll give you, here's an example out of the the gospel of Luke. The Bible says, look at this. Jesus was teaching and he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants, and he delivered unto unto them ten pounds, and said unto them, Occupy till I come. So here's what he's saying is, I want you to wait till I come back. I want you to work while I'm gone. Occupy till I come. 
And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Does that give you any idea? Listen, God, after he saved us, he did not take us home to be with him. He left us here for a reason, that we need to be doing his work. We need to be telling others about him. We need to be a faithful witness for him, serving him. And that's why he says that when he comes back, he's going to want to know what we have done for him. God has given us so much. He's entrusted us with so much. And it's important that we understand that before he comes back, he wants us to be waiting for him and working until he comes. Christ is seen in 2 Thessalonians as our soon coming king. And I love the words of this song. Marvelous message we bring, glorious carol we sing, wonderful word of the King, Jesus is coming again. Coming again, coming again, it may be morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, and it may be soon, but coming again, oh, what a wonderful day it will be. Jesus is coming again. How many of you believe that? Okay, look here, you had your hand up, you said amen. Live like it. Live like you believe the Lord is coming again. If we live with that thought in mind that He is coming, it'll change the way we live because the Lord could come back today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the truths in these two small books, small letters to those in Thessalonica. Lord, they had been saved. Paul had spent a short amount of time with them and the devil was trying everything to sidetrack them God, I pray for our members and those that are part of our church, our dear brothers and sisters, that every day the devil is trying to deceive and to distract us from the truth. Lord, I pray that we would know the truth about uh, if you come back before we step through death's door, that we will meet you in the air and we'll be with you forever. And Lord, if you choose to take us home by way of death, that God, to be absent from the body is to be present with you. And we look forward to your second coming where you will come after that tribulation time and you will establish your kingdom on this earth and your millennial reign. And Lord, we know that right now, Lord, you are the king, the one king that Paul preached about when he was in Thessalonica. Lord, tonight we don't look to Caesar. We look to Jesus who is our king and we're thankful for him. And he deserves all our praise and all our glory and all the honor we can give to him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.